deserve the glory. Praise your holy name. 
That's the truth. There's no one else like him. He does miracles beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Would you love him tonight? Amen. Amen. I just want to bring a prayer request before you, and then we'll just go to the Lord in prayer. As I, uh, Brother Ed just shared with me in the back office that Brother Dale Smith from Arizona, there's another fire just around his place, and he took a video of it. He can see the billowing smoke just coming right over his place again. And the Lord delivered him last time all around him, and yet his house was not touched. And the believers were not affected. He's still the same God. We heard it this morning so that he could show that he's the mighty God. He put through Pharaoh and the Egyptians through 10 plagues over and over so he could show it's my mighty hand. I'm bringing them out. I'm the one that's watching over them. I'm the one that's protecting them. He's the same God tonight. Amen. Amen. If you've got a need on your heart and you want to raise your hand and say, remember me in prayer tonight, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, my own hand is raised, Lord, as we are needy people, Lord. And Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, to be gathered in your house tonight. And Lord, to know that you are still God. Lord, that we don't have to look for another, Lord, but you're still the one that defeated the Egyptians, Lord. You're still the ones that there as they crossed through the Red Sea, Lord, they turned around and said, the enemies you see today, you'll see no more. Lord Jesus, you're still the same deliverer tonight, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for what you've done, Lord, and how you protected the saints in Arizona, Lord, before and again. But Lord, I pray again tonight, Lord, that you would come on the scene for them. Lord, as the fires rage round about, Lord, and there be these kinds of things in the end time. But Lord Jesus, your hand is more powerful. Your power is greater than the tactics of the enemy, Lord Jesus. So Father, we ask you to watch over the believers there. Watch over Brother Dale, Lord, his property, Lord, each saint of God that would be gathered there, Lord. May you be with them, Father. Put the angels round about them, we pray. Protect them now, Lord. We just want to commit this service to you. Lord, that you come meet every need, Lord. You saw every hand that was raised. You saw every need represented, Lord. Both those that are here, Lord, representing themselves, Lord. There's some that have others on their mind, others on their heart, Lord. I pray you come, Lord, in a sovereign way, Lord. Time and space is nothing to you, for you're an eternal God. Lord, and you're able to step from here into the next room and over in the next city, Lord, in a moment's time. Father, we pray that you'd meet our needs, Lord, as we give you our hearts, Lord, and surrender wholly unto thee. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the prayer of Brother Marco, Lord, and how it just gave me courage, Lord, and I pray you just bless us now tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you to the musicians. God bless you. The special Sister Kezia. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Acts, if you would. We'll just start there. Acts chapter 1. Quite a number of scriptures on my heart, but I, I know we won't get through all of it today as much as it's just laying in some things and I will say I have no particular situation that on my mind when I was studying this and as the Lord gave me this message, he just laid it on my heart this way and 
I trust it would be a blessing to you and encourage you in what you're going through tonight. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles that he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And they therefore were come, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. And I want to take... From my text, largely from verse 6, where it says, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom? And I want to speak, I'm going to title it Superior Tactics, but I really want to speak on the timing of the Lord, the Lord's timing. And let's just, you may have your seats, if you will, if you keep your Bibles open, maybe turn with me over to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. It says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness. Can we turn the fans down just a little bit? Would that be all right? Is that okay with everybody? All right. Some nodded, some shook their heads, so I don't know. But, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession." Now, how many of us have been brought before someone like Pontius Pilate? But yet Christ was not ashamed. He witnessed a good confession, even there in the most stressful of times, in the most pressure cooker of experiences as he's standing there knowing what lies ahead of him. But to us, we stood before our co-workers, before our bosses, before, but, but what is our confession? He says, I give you, uh, you would witness a good confession, a good a good confession of faith before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep his commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'll be honest with you, in ourselves, that's impossible. But with the Holy Ghost, it's very possible. As a matter of fact, with the Holy Ghost, it's impossible not to do it. Because it ain't you. It says, which in times past he shall show who, or which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And I want to read a few more verses. It says, And charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. There's only one sure foundation. It's not wealth. It's not riches. It's not the best that we can do. That's more shaky than it's ever been. However, there is one certain foundation. It says to trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Amen. And the Bible would speak, it, it, it actually, if you look up the word time or times, it speaks 715 times. And there's a lot of things in the Bible that, that, that God would look forward to this time. And there's a time for different things. There's a time, and we could go into Ecclesiastes where it says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then, but if you jump back, and I want to just jump back to Acts chapter 3. Sorry to jump around, Brother, Brother Danny. But Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent you therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So as we to speak of different times, there's a time of refreshing. There's a time of, of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. And, and, and if you jump down to verse 21, it says, Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. So it speaks of there's a time of restitution. There's a time of refreshing. There's a time of restitution. And it begins to speak if you go down to chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verse 17. This is the defense of, 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 of uh, uh, Stephen as he begins to speak. He says, but when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham and the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. And we know that, that what he's talking was that God promised something to Abraham and 400 years later. The time of the promise came to pass that God would deliver them with a mighty hand. There was a time frame for it. God wasn't just looking at it making a promise saying, I'm going to instantaneously gratify you and bring it to pass. But rather, there's my timing behind it. Amen. That I have a time and I have a season for everything. And in verse 20, it says, in which time Moses was born. So in the time that the promise had to come to pass, God was to bring it to pass, bring it to pass. In a certain way, in a certain time, in a certain season. And he'd do it in a, in a, in a certain way that, that to, to many people, even Moses himself, who was born at this time, knew he was a proper child, thought he had it figured out, and he messed it up. 
But God had a certain way, as we heard this morning, that he was going to deliver them with a mighty hand. And he was going to bring them out. And he was going to show that I'm the Lord thy God. And I'm your God. You're my people. And I'm going to make sure you know it's me. And not a man. Not an army. Not anything else. Because God was going to make sure his promise was fulfilled according to his timing. If you jump down even to Acts chapter 17, Paul would begin to preach in Athens and he would begin to speak to them about this God who is the, the unknown God. And he began to talk to them about how they make their idols of gold and of stone and of silver and different things. And he said in verse 30, he began to say, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. There was a time of the Gentiles that God looked at as ignorant and he winked at it because it was not yet the Gentiles' time. But now it is time. It has been since Calvary that God has gone out to send out his disciples, sent out Paul, different ones, to bring the message to the Gentiles. Now we can't look at it and say, well, I'm a Gentile. It's not that time anymore. Hey man, if we jump back into Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry to lay in so much scripture so quickly, but I just wanted to lay it in quickly for you so I don't take too much time with it. In Ecclesiastes 3, as we read in verse 1, says to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven. If you jump down to verse 11 in the same chapter, we could go through and read, there's a time to weep, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time for this, a time for that. But if you jump down to verse 11, it says this, and he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Amen. It's not in our time. It's not when we think it ought to be. But he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now you got scripture for it to say, I'm never going to figure it out. I'm not going to be able to figure it out, but God will make it beautiful in his time. If you jump all the way down to verse 17, it says, And I said in mine heart that God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, and there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Amen. Let's just take it back. If you open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 14. 1 Chronicles chapter 14. everything there's a time and a season and verse 8 says this and when the philistines heard that david was anointed king over all israel now this in itself was according to god's timing there was chances there was opportunities that david had that he could have killed saul there was times he could have taken over the kingdom. He could have jumped ahead of the plan of God. He could have gone in the cave and instead of just taking a bit of his robe, he could have killed. And when he was down there in the, in, the, in the camp with them and he was sleeping as God caused a deep sleep to fall over them. And his partner there, I can't remember his name, but Abishai, I think, and he was there and he said, let me just drive him through with the javelin. Let me just kill him right now. End it all. He said, no, God forbid I touch the Lord's anointed. Why well, we do that God's got a time for everything. And no matter how hard it seemed, but he can say, David, don't you know what you're going through? All because of this man. You're going to have to live from cave to cave and running to the Philistines and going over here, getting your parents to live over in Moab so that way you could, you could have them provided for. They're not supposed to be out there. Don't you know what you're going through? Just because of Saul. Just take it into your own hands. Just end it. Just let it be. Sometimes we want to do that. 
As believers, where we just want to take the promise of God and say, God, I'm just going to make it come to pass. I'm going to force it to be instead of saying, Lord, what is your will? As David was able to take a step back and realize, God, when it's his will, he's showing me it's his will to be on the throne. So he's going to make it come to pass in his timing and according to his way without me ever having to really lift a finger for it. Because he's God. He's more than able to bring his own will to pass if we're willing to surrender. It says this, says, all the Philistines went up to seek David, and David heard of it and went out against them. And in verse 9, he says, and he says, and the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, go up, for I will deliver them into thine hand. Now, I want to just take a moment on this, because here's David. Here's a man that's just been anointed king, and here's an enemy that's come on his ground. They've come to his valley. They've come and heard that he's king. And the Bible says they're coming to get him. They're after him. All logic and all reason says go and get them back. Are you with me? All logic says array the army. Call everybody up. Go on against them. Fight against them. Of course, it's your land. It's your ground. This is your job as king. But David stops and says, Lord, what would you have me do? Oh my, it puts it in a whole nother perspective because we get that way as believers, don't we? The devil's on my ground, God. He's on my ground. And this is my place and this is my family and this is my one. And we got a right to do that and we can stand on that all day long. That these are my people, it's my children, it's my home. So I'm going to go and stamp out the devil. And he says, why didn't you come and talk to me first? Why didn't you come and say, Lord, what would you have me do? Maybe I allowed it to be that way for a purpose. Maybe there was something I was doing in your child. Maybe there was something I was doing in your wife or your husband. Maybe there was something I was doing in your home, in your job, and you just went in and took it all apart because you decided you know better. It says this in verse, verse 11. It says, so he came up to Baal Perhazim. And David smote them there. And, the, and David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies by hand, by hand, by mine hand, like the breaking forth of waters. Therefore they called the name of the place Baal Perazim, which that, that name Baal Perazim means a possessor of the breach. That God had did it, and he'd used David to do what? To possess the breach. There had been a breach created. There had been a problem. There had been a gap. Something had taken place. And he said, but David, because you sought me, I'm using you to go and possess the breach and close it back up and restore all that is yours because there is a time for restitution. And he says, and when they, when they had left their gods there, David gave the commandment that they'd be burned with fire. Hallelujah. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. They don't give up easy. I don't know about you, but I found that about the devil. He doesn't just turn around and give up. He's going to fight, Brother Branham says, for every inch. 
you're going to have to fight for every inch because he's not wanting to give up the title deed. He's not wanting to give up the, the, the authority he has. He's not wanting to give up being the prince of the power of the air. He's not wanting to give up these titles and this power that he has because he wants it more than you know. But the problem is, he's got no power. We'll get into that. It says this, and it came. Therefore David inquired again. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I love David in this scripture. He'd already acquired once. He'd already prayed once. Surely that was enough. God, I already saw your face. You already told me. But he recognized this is different. God, why are they coming at me again? You told me to go once. I fought. I defeated them. Now they've come again. Why are they coming at me again? So what do you do? He said, Lord, what do I do now? What do I do this time? What's your will this time? He acquired of God, and God said unto him, Go not up after them. Turn away from them. Whew. And come upon them over against the mulberry trees. Oh, I love this. My, why? God, in his infinite wisdom, had superior tactics to the enemy. They'd come against him once, and then David had come down the hill, and he defeated them all. And they come against him again, and he says, okay, we're ready if he comes this way. We're ready. But God said, don't go up. Oh. But Lord, you did it through me once. Why not again? Go this way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Just because God moved on your heart and you defeated the devil, he said, oh, God did it this way for me, so I know he's, you know, he can do that again. But he might look at somebody else and say, no, for you, go around this way. Go around to the mulberry trees. Go around and put yourself over there in the mulberry trees and wait. And wait there. We all want miracles, don't we? We want God to drop down miracle after miracle after miracle. We wanted that in Sister Sandy. We wanted God to just drop down a miracle and it all be over. But God said, no, I got a doctor waiting on a Sunday morning so that when you come into the hospital and I'd give you a bladder infection and we don't know how it all work out. But God put it all together in a way that we didn't understand. But he did. Because his tactics are superior to the enemy. Hope that's all right, Sister Sandy. Does say that. It says, and it shall be, verse fifteen, when thou shalt hear the sound of the going in the tops of the mulberry trees. Oh, praise be to God! The first time God did it in a very natural way. He said, "Army against army," and He took him, David, down. He defeated him. But the second time, He said, "Wait for the supernatural." Wait for the rushing in the top. Wait for the sound in the top. I'm sure David thought, I'm not exactly certain what I'm looking for, but I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> I can imagine the tactics. Oh, the, the, the man in that day, the great man that he had, the mighty men of valor, those great Gentile warriors that are all waiting. They're going, David, what are we waiting for? I don't know. The sound in the top. Is that the wind? I don't know. Is it the pillar of fire? I don't know. But God said, wait for the sound in the top. Wait for something supernatural. Wait for something to happen. You'll know it when you see it because when that happens, 
Then thou shalt go out to battle, for God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. I used you once to do it, David, and I used you to defeat them, but this time I'm doing it. <laughs> Hallelujah. This time I'm going to work for you. This time I'm going to make sure. Why? Because there was a man that took the time to say, Lord, what do you want to do? What's your tactics in this situation? What would you have me do? And we know this in verse 16. And David therefore did as God commanded him. And they smote the host of the Philistines all the way from Gibeon, even to Gazar. And the fame of David went out into all the lands. And the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Hallelujah. I'm not a betting man, but I would hazard a guess. That if David had just done according to his own will, that would not be what verse 17 said. But because David got on his knees and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? There was something about it that God put the fear of David in the hearts of all the nations because they knew there's a man that fears the God of Israel. There's a man that was like Moses, that was like Joshua, who we couldn't stand before. And now they got a king in again who we can't stand against. Oh, praise be to God. Like we heard it this morning, there's one place I want my name to ring out. It's called the halls of hell. That they know that there's a man who they're afraid of. That they can look at and they can say, and I don't want to put my name in the same sentence, but they can look at it and say, I know when Jesus was on earth. We couldn't touch him. I know when William Branham was on earth. We couldn't touch him. I know when St. Martin was on earth. I came with the best of angels and he just turned around and said, oh, it's you again. And went back to sleep. Hallelujah. I believe there's man tonight that he looks at and says, not him again. When he gets up to get back in the boxing ring and he gets up and he says, all right, who's my opponent this time? Not him again. He had me against the ropes the whole time last time and now he's got me against the ropes again. I might as well just start in the corner, just a turtle. How can that be, Brother Andrew? How could I possibly get the devil running like that? Heavenly Father, what would you have me do? There's superior tactics in that. Hallelujah. He named the place Baal Parazim, a possessor of the breach. Have it in my nose, so I'll say it this way. There may be a breach in your family, in your life, that you can't get over. Take a book out of David's page. Right. Take a page out of David's book. There we go. He inquired of the Lord. I wanted to take these numbers of scriptures tonight, and I know I won't get to them all, but... But I want to take the service tonight and I want you to understand that we have superior tactics because we have a greater general. Our enemy has had thousands of years to perfect his tactics, but our God is eternal. 
Hallelujah. You say, wouldn't it be hindersome to have an enemy that originally came was the right-hand man of your general? (laughs) And now he's against you. Wouldn't that be advantageous to him? Not in this case. Because the only thing knowing our tactics does is cause fear in his heart. Our enemy has been honing his generalship to identify and exploit weaknesses in believers. I know it gets quiet, but we can say amen because we know that's true. You can just take your own age and know he's been honing his tactics on you to find your weaknesses that long, to try and perfect what he can hit you with. Try and get that punch just perfect. He wants to get you in just a place that he knows if he hits you, if he gets up the next round, he knows I got him right here last time. I'm going to just hit him harder right there. I'll hit him harder right in that place. That seems to be a weak spot. I'll hit him harder again. What he doesn't know is every time he hits you there, he's making you stronger. But but he's, he's homeless and he doesn't fight very fair. He doesn't fight a fair battle. He enjoys luring you into a sense of complacency before overwhelming your mind. I just, why are you saying these things, Brother Andrew? I'm saying them to expose the enemy, to let you know it's no secret. What the devil does to you isn't a secret. He tries it on me too. He loves to lie, in case you didn't notice. He's the father of it. He loves to do it. And he's good at it. He's caused and continues to cause many breaches in homes between parents and children, between husbands and wives. He makes, he likes to avoid pitch battles because he knows he can't beat the army of the Lord head on. But instead he employs the tactics of guerrilla warfare. He wants to ambush you. He knows he can't hit you head on. He tried it with Jesus. He came head on with him and he just was met with the word. He was defeated. He tried head on again at Calvary and he was defeated. My goodness, he realized I can't do this. But he knows that if he could just catch you, if he could ambush you, if he can catch you at an unexpected time, in an unexpected place, in an unexpected way, he loves to belittle you. I'm just exposing him. It's not, it's, it's not a believer that's belittling you. You say, well, I had somebody, okay, we heard it on Wednesday. How many of you have ever been used by the devil? Thank you. We got some honest people. <laughs> we have been. But don't look at your brother and say, oh, he. Um. No, it was the devil. He's trying to belittle you. And they just happened to say something that maybe they went home that night and said, Lord, why did I say that? I've done it before. I've said something and went going home and go, oh, Lord, I had to text that brother. I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But by the grace of God, I got brothers and sisters that look at me and say, I don't even remember that. <laughs> I said, thank you, Lord, for someone that's forgiving. <laughs> because he's good at that, because he loves to make you say something, then turn around and turn around it on you. Say, look what you said. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. He likes to get you in a prison in your mind and convince you that you'll never get out. Offer you some help. Offer you some help of medication and tell you you'll never get off them pills. He loves that. 
He loves to depress you, put you right down, and then offer you these anxiety pills and then try to tell you you'll never overcome that. He's good at it. He's got an entire medical system that's just geared that way. Help him out. Help him out here. Help him out there. He's geared at it. Hey, listen, it's Satan's Eden. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's done some good, but there's some evil for sure. You can't deny that that it's coming out. Why? What's he doing? That's his tactics. He wants to get you over there in the doctor's office. You can say, oh, you got anxiety. Here, take this. And they tell you, I got you. You'll never get off those. But we got a greater general. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. We got something in us that's over able to overcome even the greatest psychedelic drug the enemy has to offer. He's good at his job, and he has people placed everywhere to do his work for him so he can inspire them to say the wrong thing at the wrong time till you constantly feel like you're under siege and under pressure of warfare. But regardless of all his honing and his perfecting of his art, we got a greater God whose word alone can defeat the enemy anytime, any place, and anywhere. Amen. It doesn't matter where he chooses, what, what kind of ambush he puts there, what kind of place he try, decides to meet you, how much advantage he has on his side, how many numbers he has against you. But one could chase a thousand to ten thousand. Why? Because there's a believer that's able to take God at his word and to overcome the situation anytime, any place, anywhere, under any circumstances. It doesn't matter because you are able to get on your knees. Hallelujah. Say, Lord, what would you have me do? Furthermore, Satan can't lose, cannot lose a single force on you until first God gives him the okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's still God's right-hand man. He just doesn't know it. He's done more perfecting of God's saints. He's molded their character to perfection. He's done such a good job of it. Oh, he thinks he's winning, but he's done such a good job of causing people to get closer to God. He's done such a good job of driving you, Brother Bob, to your knees. Oh my, because he's tried so hard to take you away. He's tried so hard to get you to drive this way and that way. And all he's done is cause you to get on your knees and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, the devil's come against me again. I'm coming back to you. And God's nudging the devil saying, see, I told you so. I told you he'd come back to me. I told you it wasn't the hedge around I put around the bottom. I told you it wasn't because of the blessings I blessed him with. I told you it wasn't because of his wife. It wasn't because of her husband. It wasn't because of his children. It wasn't because of his daughter. It wasn't because of his son. It's because he loves me. It's because he knows me. Hallelujah. Oh, praise be to God. He improved it in David. Even when David came back, they were down there in a city called Ziklag. And they were there hiding in the city called Ziklag, and they, they were seeking some refuge there. But they were going out conducting raids, and they were conducting raids. They were turning the tactics of the enemy on himself. My goodness. They were doing it this way, but finally one time they came home, and they see the smoke rising from the hill. And all the men got all upset at David. David, you've done this to us. David, we've done this to us. But what did David do? He said, if you want to stone me, stone me. But first, let me pray. But first, let me say God. And day I can believe God was nudging over the devil. See, I told you, you could take his wife, his man's wife. You could take everything. And all he'd do is look to me. 
that it didn't matter what you did to him. He was just going to get on his knees again because he knows my tactics are better than yours. Hallelujah. Amen. The very word superior, superior means beyond, being beyond in power and influence of. To great, too great to, or firm to be subdued or affected by. The tactics of our Lord are too great and too firm to be even affected by the best the devil has. He could throw the best at it. He could throw the best at his man, his man against us. But it doesn't matter. Hallelujah. Satan can never breach your spiritual defenses or inflict a single scar until first you step out from behind the protection of the word. That's the truth. You got to step out first from behind the blood. You got to step out. You got to listen to the reasoning. Brother Adam says this in the message from that time. He says, there was a time when there was no death on earth. There was a time when man didn't have to die. But because Eve reasoned, listened to the re- Satan's reasoning against God's word, death began to reign from that time on, and it reigns yet today. Think about it. As long as Eve had stayed with the word of God, Satan would have never been able to get a foothold. But it didn't just start on day one. I don't believe the Satan just came down and got in the serpent and it was just one conversation. It was something that happened over and over and over and over until finally he began to take the word and he began to twist it a little bit in her mind and he began to reason with her in this way. And as soon as he got her to take out and just step a little bit out from behind the word and say, well, maybe he said, I got you. I got you right there. But what did it do? It took the reasoning because that's his tactics. He says, but let me say in the face of it all, there is a time and a thing that can happen that will never change. It's eternal. There's something that can happen in the human life that can never change. That is eternal. That's when a man meets God. That is eternally settled. When man meets God, is born again of the Spirit of God, he has eternal life. Now, we believe that with all of our heart. And I want to say that as an emphasis tonight before I get into what I'm going into next. is simply when a man meets God, that is eternal. Once you're sealed, you're sealed to the day of your redemption. You can no longer be lost. You can no longer die anymore than God can die. You cannot be lost anymore because you're sealed. But it don't stop the battle. And I'll say it this way, it amplifies it. Just like Jesus, when Jesus was here, he said, oh, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to amplify it. Now, sometimes we like to use this scripture to justify our come what may attitude, if I could call it that. That's the scripture in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. It says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's a serious scripture. It's absolutely a serious scripture. But sometimes we take that scripture and we justify our, well, I'm not going to say nothing attitude. 
I don't want to take a stand. I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to. I don't want to pray the wrong thing. I'm just going to sit here. And pretty soon we're all walking around on eggshells. Don't want to offend them. Don't want to offend them. Satan loves to take something that you did or said for good. Even your prayers that you prayed for somebody and try to get you to believe that you caused something bad to bring condemnation upon you. He loves to do that. He loves to take it where you told someone, I'll pray for you. And also something happened to them and he says, see, look what you did. Next thing you know, you're walking around on eggshells like, oh man, I caused that. No, you didn't. God's in control. That's his tactic, to take and twist the word to his advantage. But we need, as believers, to hear the truth straight. Brother and sister, say this. It isn't you that the ministry or the message is against. It's the devil trying to attach himself to you. When the, preaching of the, when the preaching of the word comes across hard, it ain't against you. It's against the devil that's trying to creep in. Because God's seen something and he's got a tactic that God uses called the inspiration, of the inspiration of the preaching of the word. And he begins to preach and he begins to deliver you. But the worst thing you could do is turn around and say, oh, he's just preaching against me. No, he ain't. That brother, he's against me. That sister, she's against me. She tried, no, she's against the devil that's trying to creep into your life. God's showing her something. Maybe God showed this sister over here something about that sister. She says, sister, don't you know your skirt? It's a little bit too, it's a little bit too revealing. Would you, did you mind? I just want you to know. I, I seen it, but I'm praying for you, and I pray God will just move on your heart. Oh, she's against me. No, she's not. She's trying to help you. She's trying to reach out to you as a sister in love. Trying to say, listen, don't go down that road. I know where it leads. And help. Let me help you. Let me be a reaching hand for you. Be careful. As I said, I don't have anything in particular saying, saying this. I just This is what God laid on my heart tonight, so I trust you can receive it. I'm not trying to meddle, and I'm not meddling for sure. I'm just preaching the word. Be careful we don't allow something into our lives thinking it's harmless. Or maybe it's just for the children. And find ourselves defending something that's hindering the moving of the Holy Spirit. Or we'll allow something into our lives. We'll allow things into our home. Well, it's just for the kiddies, or well, it's just for this. And then we can't figure out, why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't this happening? Why are we overcoming? Why is sickness all of a sudden in here all the time? What's going on, Lord? See, I showed you, you shouldn't have done that. Why would a born-again son or daughter of God listen to the reasoning of the devil? I'll say it this way, it's simple. Because when you're under pressure, and the siege is on, And all the guns of the enemy are trained at you. And you've got every laser sight right on your forehead. And you're sweating and you're going, God, what do I do? It's easy at that moment to just give in. 
It's easy to compromise at that moment when you're dead to right and you're right in the corner and you don't have an answer. Someone's got you right in the corner. Maybe even your spouse has said something or maybe a child of yours has said something and you're stuck there and you're going, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know what the right response is in this moment. It's easy at that moment to just give in and say, well, okay, we'll, we'll just do it, all right. But this little red flag begins to creep up and you say, don't do it. And you got to make a stand and say, I don't, I don't know how. I don't know why. But that ain't right. God needs real parents like that. It's so easy. I'll say it. It's so easy just to convince ourselves to reason with the devil. So easy to convince ourselves, oh, little makeup's okay. So easy to reason that in there and say, well, I just need it for this and that. Well, I just, oh, it's okay. The devil says, I got you. I got a little toe in there. He'll shoot a little bit on the left side so that way it'll point you to the right side. So you'll run this way because he's got an ambush set there. That's his tactics. He loves to do it that way. He loves to reason out with you. Say, well, the TV is just for the kiddies. Just a little kiddie show. Just to keep them entertained. Just to keep them occupied. I'll tell you what. You show me any kid show and I'll tell you there's messages in there that are not godly. I don't care if it's cartoon or if it's some kind of live show or if it's some kind of other thing. I'm here now. I'm just going to say it. It's of the devil. It's from the pit of hell. It didn't come from God, so it will not take you back to God. It will not raise up the children the way they ought to go. But it's so easy to compromise. It's so easy to be back in the corner. Mothers, it's so easy to stand back and say, I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed in my mind. I'm under siege and I'm drowning. I just need something to put the kids in front of for a little bit just so I can get some work done. Oh, the devil loves to do that. He loves to get it that way. And he'll even trick you into it and say, but you'll have time to pray. You let them watch that show and you can slip in the bedroom and pray and pretty soon you're folding laundry. Why? Because the atmosphere ain't right. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. So this little bit's okay. I had a little split end so I just had to cut it off. My hairdresser said that's the best thing to do for it. He loves those tactics. He loves to get you in that way. Say, it's okay. You know, she's not really of age. Just cut a little more off. Just cut a little more off. She won't really know. At what age is right? Maybe that thing's just a little too tight, sister. And you knew it when you got up this morning, you dressed in the mirror, and you thought, well, it'll be okay. I'm not trying to look at anybody, but this is what God laid on my heart, so I just have to preach it. Maybe you sat there in the mirror and you said, well, you know, the slits, it's, it's not that bad. It's just a little bit. He's just trying to get a little bit in there. He just wants a little bit in there. Instead of getting on your knees before God and saying, Lord, what kind of a standard do you want? 
It's not what Brother Andrew preaches that this is what it is or what Brother Ed preaches or even what Brother Harold preaches. This is the standard, so you follow this and we're going to be like robots and this is how it's going to be. But we ought to be believers to be able to get on our knees and say, Lord, what's pleasing to you? What would be pleasing to you today that I'd be able to go out? I don't have to sit down in the night and try to cover my knees like this because my skirt's too short and try to stand up because my cut stops too low. And brothers, that you let your wives go out in that way. Lord, have mercy. Say, God, help us to hold the standard high as we sing that song, pure, undefiled. Let us live our lives. Keep the standard. Keep that flag held high. Don't compromise on anything, but rather say, Lord, as we see the end time drawing near, let's draw nigh unto God and say, Lord, I'm coming to heaven with you. I'm going on a honeymoon with you. So what's pleasing to you? We justify so many things with our own reasonings. We justify websites with our own reasonings. We justify because we say, well, it's keeping us connected. It makes me feel good. It's okay, even though 90% or 70% of it is dragging you down. And stopping the moving of the Lord. And you just had a wonderful service and you go home and you're on some website and you're doing, watching something. I've been there. I know what it's like. To stand up here and preach and under the anointing and go home and sit under a website and go, God, what am I doing? What is happening to me? Lord, this isn't pleasing to you. Help me to put these things aside and put them away. And get them out of the bedroom. Get them out of my home and put them away and say, Lord, you deliver me. I'll say it this way because I shared it with the other anti-message tabernacle. Before God ever finally delivered me completely from lust, you know what it took? I had to get on my knees before God and say, Lord, I don't even care if I'm attracted to my own wife. If you've got to take that away, I want this spirit gone. Right there he took it. It left me like that, like a, like a spirit just I can't really explain it properly, but it was gone like that. I said, oh, Lord, thank you. I can tell you I'm more attracted to my wife now than I ever was because now it's love, not lust. Praise the Lord. But, but, it, but it took that, and sometimes it takes that with God when you're willing to get on your knees like David and say, Lord, I know you've done it before, but what would you have this time? What would you have me to do? How would you have me to go about it? What kind of way are you going to work in my life? Is it going to be supernatural? Is it going to take a doctor? Is it going to take something else, Lord? Whatever it takes, I want to be willing. Talking about the tactics of the devil. We make so many things an idol. We worship fashion. I don't worship fashion. Well, you be the judge of it yourself. I'm not here to judge any man. But I will say your actions prove what you worship. Whether it be fashion, whether it be Hollywood, whether it be uh, movies, whether it be Social media, whether it be your devices, your actions prove what you worship. It proves what you're doing, what you're spending your time on, what, you're, what, you're, what you love, the things that you're talking about, the things that you're doing. He proves whether you worship hockey. Praise God, they're out of these playoffs now. <laughs> Glory! We can go back to normal now. <laughs> you want to go to fisticuffs, I'll meet you back. It's okay. We'll do it that way if you have to. <laughs> it don't bother me a bit. Hey, listen. 
We get so caught up in these things till we're spending so much time on it. My goodness. Till we'll go on a Sunday afternoon and put on the hockey game and go, well, there's no church tonight, so we'll listen to the hockey game. Praise the Lord. All right, well, if that's fellowship, praise the Lord. You had some fellowship. Hope Connor McDavid got some of that fellowship too. Let's carry on. Talking about the tactics of the devil. Hey, listen, let me say it this way. I ain't perfect. I like to look at the hockey highlights too, all right? I look at them, I follow the numbers and things. I've never sat down and watched a full game, though. Praise the Lord. I'm still holy. That's something that makes you holy. But I got to preach it like it is. We'll spend hours watching something. And then we come to church and we're barely paying attention. The preacher preaches for an hour and a half and we're like, man. But that three-hour hockey game, we can sit through no problem. And that's our flesh. Hey, we're human. That's our flesh. Who, that is our flesh. We get that way in our human. It's easy to watch a flashy screen and a puck zip, pipping up, zipping up and down, and somebody scores, and you're excited. Woo! It's easy to do that. It's harder in church when you're sitting there and God really comes down and speaks to your heart, and the guy next to you is half asleep, and you're like, should I be excited? Should I not be excited? Should I get up? Will I wake him up? What should I do? Do I say amen? Do I not say amen? Should I shout? Should I not shout? I don't know. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is there a quote for that? Is there not a quote for that? Is that 63 or before 63? Is it And we get all of these ways in our minds. What is it? the tactics of the enemy? He just floods your mind with all kinds of things. But oh, your mind's so clean and pure when you're watching that hockey game. Go, Oilers! That's the tactics we fight. That's the battle we fight. You've got to press in. You're going to have to fight for the spiritual land that is yours. You're going to have to fight every step of the way. The prophet didn't come and say you'll have to fight to watch the hockey game. He said you'll have to fight to be in charge. You'll have to fight for your rights. You'll have to fight, amen, to claim what's rightfully yours according to the word of God. That's why it's a fight. Know the tactics of the enemy, but also know... That greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That when the enemy comes in like a flood and gets your mind all in this dizzy, he will raise up a standard. Hallelujah. I shared it with the prayer meeting last week and it just so moved on my heart. God just brought it across my path. About Samuel and Saul. How Saul didn't wait on Samuel. As he was up there waiting, and then he was, he was waiting, I think it was seven days, waiting for Samuel to get there in order to sacrifice before they went and defeated the Philistines. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting, and the people were getting restless. The people were getting restless. Fathers, this is such a, a good lesson for us. A father, I know next Sunday, I think it's Father's Day, and I'll be preaching the Sunday morning. Oh, should not, I don't know, no one's gonna show up now. I might be preaching Sunday morning. Lord willing. But, but, uh, but, we, but we get that way as fathers, learn to wait on the Lord. Learn that even though your children are looking at you, your wife's looking at you, say, make a decision, make a decision. Learn to wait on the Lord. Like Saul as he was there and he's waiting and he's waiting, but finally it comes to the seven days. Enough is enough. I'm just going to do it. The people are asking me too much. I can't do it. God had told Saul exactly what to do. Think about that. He told him exactly what to do. He didn't ever told him when or how, but he told him exactly what to do. And because of pressure, 
Saul got the wood all mixed up because he couldn't wait upon the Lord. He caused the light of the hour, the prophet Samuel, to turn his back on him. If you go and read in the scripture, you'll find out that what happened, Saul just turned around and walked away. Or Samuel turned around and walked away. He said, enough is enough. He couldn't, couldn't put up with that. He says, listen, I told you exactly what to do. God told us exactly what to do. He told us exactly. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open. Oh my. I counsel of you to buy of me. I have gold tried in the fire. You're going to need these things today. I counsel of you to do these things. But he didn't tell us when it's going to be or how it's going to be. Exactly how it's going to take place. He didn't spell it out that way. But he told us the what. This is what you must do. You must wait upon the Lord. You shall renew your strength. You must wait for me. You must cause. You must ask me. I will answer you. I'll be with you. I'll be in you even to the end of the world. Wait upon me. I'll lead you. I'll guide you into all truth. Wait for the leadership. Wait for the guiding. Don't get out on your own. But sometimes we get that way so impatient. Those who knock, it shall be open. Okay, I knocked. Keep knocking. Sometimes we just give it one knock. Okay, Lord, I knocked. I said, brother, oh, brother, oh, my Lost his name. I preached on Wednesday. Played the video. Burley Williams said it so well. When we really want something on our own, we forget to seek the Lord. And sometimes we don't forget. We purposely don't. Because we want that. We really want that car. We really want that deal. We really want that something. So we're out there to go get it. And something in your heart's going, you should pray. You should wait on me. I've done it before too. Like, all right, you want that? Let's go get it. And then two weeks later, like, I'm out, sell it. It's garbage. And then you're going, oh, man, I should have I prayed. I would have saved myself X amount of dollars. I would have saved myself X amount of heartache. I would have saved myself all these things. But instead of stopping and saying, Lord, is this your will? Finally, I took on the attitude of, Lord, if you want me to have it, it'll be there when you tell me to get it. You know what it was? When we moved down here, we asked the Lord, and I... I was, uh, we went and looked at the house that we're currently in now, and I told the real estate agent, I'll, I'll pay X amount of dollars for this and not a penny more. And she laughed at me, and she, she said, they've already declined offers for fifteen or 20000 more than that. I said, oh, that's fine. So I left and went back home, and we were sitting in the hospital room, and I was sitting in the hospital room where Ezra was being delivered. And I was buying a house, praise the Lord. What an attentive husband. Telling my wife, by the way, we're moving. <laughs> no, I said, she knew. But, but we get all that, and, and, and here the, the real estate agent texts me and says, hey, there's an offer on the house for the exact same amount that you said you'd pay, but it's conditional. If you put one in unconditional, they'll accept it. So I said, sure, put one in unconditional. So they put it in unconditional, they took it right there, and their house was there for exactly the right amount that I said I'd pay. Why? Wow, because that's the Lord. The Lord wanted us to have it. It wasn't me. I didn't push my way into it. I didn't try and say, well, I, I need to have this house. Okay, they won't accept that. All right, we'll accept this. No, I said, no, this is the amount. I didn't know whether they accepted offers more than that or sorry, refused offers more than that. I had no idea. But I just left it in the hands of the Lord, and the Lord made a way. Oh, my. General Jesus. General Jesus has given us a part of himself by a new birth. 
to know the superior tactics that will defeat the enemy every time and cause us to live an overcoming life. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. How are we doing for time? Oh, perfect. We're right on time to close. Are you with me? Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Sorry, let's back it up to verse uh, 22. And it says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. That here's Paul and Silas, they're preaching in Lydia. And it says this, And rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they were laid, many stripes upon them and cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Think of it for a moment. They were doing exactly what God called them to do. God said, go ye into, world and preach, into all your world and preach the gospel. What they do? They went into all the world. They were preaching the gospel. And here, because they were preaching the gospel, they got whipped. They got thrown into the inner, inner jail. They got put in stocks and locked up. And the jailer was giving them commandment for this. And what did they do? They prayed. Hallelujah. They didn't get up and say, hey, I get a phone call. They said, no worries, I got a phone call. It's with Jesus. It's Jesus on the main line. And I'm going to tell him what I want. I'm going to pray to him. I don't need a phone call to Peter and James and John. And what are we going to do about this? Lord, what would you have me do? God allowed me to preach the gospel. God put me in this prison. So God's going to get me back out again. If he will. Oh, hallelujah. He says, and they sang praises and unto God. And I love the next part. And the prisoners heard them. They weren't in the corner. Only believe. Only believe. Shh, he's waking up. No. Only believe. All things are. And people go, what's wrong with these guys? They're bleeding and there's blood running out. They got whipped and they're in the stocks. And here they are singing, amazing grace. Where's the grace in this? The prisoners heard them. They had sat there and they were in a horrible state. But they heard them. And we know the next verse says it in verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep. And seeing the prison doors open. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself. Supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice. Said do thyself no harm. For we're all here. That singing, that singing had such an impact on all the prisoners. Nobody ran. It wasn't just, hey, Paul and Silas are still here. No, we're all here. We're all having a song service. We're all having a good time down here in the prison. Don't worry about it. We got it. We got scriptural evidence. We remember there was a Joseph. He took over a prison. So God put me in a prison. I'm here to take over the prison. Praise be to God. 
And when he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all to all that were in his house. And all they took him, they washed their stripes, they were baptized and all they went straightway. Think of this for a moment. They were doing what God called them to do. God didn't tell them how it was going to happen. God had a jailer to be saved and a jailer's family. Hallelujah. But God didn't tell him how he was going to get that jailer. He just told him to go preach in Lydia. And when they got up there to Lydia, they got beaten. They got put in jail. Why? Because God had a jailer. So go, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? Why? Because God's got somebody that you need to be a witness to, that you need to preach the gospel to. God's got somebody you need to work around and sing the songs of God, sing the melodies of praise, and begin to worship Him. Oh, my. Hallelujah. They overcame in a jail cell. Why? Because God put in them an overcoming power. That they knew even in the worst of times, no matter how bad the pressure got, no matter how bad the enemy got, the jailer would never come against anything like this. Well, you think about this jailer for a moment. I'm sure this wasn't the first time he thought about being a better person. Surely he'd taken time to think, you know, that he didn't really want to be a jailer all his life. What is a jailer? A jailer is an individual that makes other individuals miserable, often without even knowing why. It's just a job, just who they are. I'm just this way, leave me alone. I'm going to make everybody else miserable because I'm miserable. i got to be here so you're here too. We're all going to be miserable together. We've all met those people. They say, hey, you're a Philippian jailer. I like you. I'm going to sing a song around you. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. That's a jailer. Surely this man thought there was a better job in the Roman army than just whipping and locking in stocks and people crying and begging for mercy. Surely there was something better. I'm sure it had crossed his mind that surely I could get out of this rut, but perhaps he had reasoned and convinced himself it was his job, it was a means to an end, and besides, I'm pretty good at making other people miserable. (laughs) But at the appointed time, wasn't before, wasn't the first day on the job. Oh no, he got a lot of experience. He was good at it. He had no problem locking up Paul and Silas. It was the easiest clients he'd ever had. He had lots that were kicking and screaming and punching and lashing out. But these ones, they just put their feet in there for him. No problem. Go ahead. Humming a little song. He thought, man, these guys are different. Hallelujah. People have worked with a lot of plumbers that cursed and swore. But I pray when they work with me. See, something's different about this guy. Hey. At the appointed time, God sent a couple men his way. He couldn't make miserable, regardless of all his tactics. He couldn't do his job, no matter how good he was at it. He tried so hard, no matter how hard the devil tries to make you miserable, he just can't do it. He'd seen for the first time something greater. It blew apart all his reasoning. But the Brown says this, he says, remember the Philippian trailer? He says, if you've got enough faith for your own salvation, can't you have some faith that'll work upon your people? 
Hallelujah. He had enough faith to say, hey, I've thought about this before. I need to be saved. God sent you to me. What must I do to be saved? What do I got to do? He said, just believe. Just believe. That's all it takes. Just believe. And he just, okay. Okay, I'll believe. He says, and thy and thy house. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. You got time for one more? I like to blow apart this tactic. As I alluded to the Wednesday night service, the devil loves to, to build siege equipment and battlements around your city. He loves to look, lock you in and tell you that you ain't never going to get out. Tell you you might as well surrender because he wants to take you. He wants to make you an island to yourself, and that's all you'll ever be. It gets you out all by yourself starving. I heard that on Wednesday. Starving for what? For fellowship? He wants to get you all out by yourself so you, you don't even get any fellowship. Right. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm just here and nobody cares. He wants to put you in that way and make you believe that ain't nobody praying for you. That's his tactics. He wants to tell you that you ain't never going to feed on the word. You ain't never going to go to church again because you ain't getting anything out of it anyways. He wants to starve you of the word. Just surround your city and get you so lonely, get you so bound up in your own thoughts and get you thinking things that you ought not to be thinking. Starving for the presence of the Lord. But I want to tell you about a little something that they used to use in warfare about the time of wooden siege equipment. It was called Greek fire. Do a little research on it. I like it. Scientists back in that day, they, 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 they didn't really know what it, what it was, but really it was ancient oil sands, to be honest. And they would take the, the bitumen from that, from that kind of oil swamps, really, and refine it. And they'd make it so volatile till as soon as it came into the presence of the sun, it would spontaneously combust. And they would use this in, in, in warfare, and it wasn't very often used because it was so volatile, because it, sometimes it would light your own troops on fire. But it was used in, in, in sieges and defending against sieges in different ways. And during a siege, the defender would sneak out in the middle of the night and dump this Greek fire on the enemy siege craft. And when the sun came up the next day, the siege craft would suddenly burst into flames, and the invading army would, 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 would be caused to trying to put out the fire. Instead of, defend, instead of attacking, they would have to be, start to put out the fire of their own siege equipment. I'm not, not be able to understand, hey, what's going on? Why did it suddenly burst into flames? Because someone snuck out at night and began to apply oil to their, to their siege equipment. But the Bible says this. He says in the message and the angel and, his com- and, and, and the commission. He says, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. I was lying down sleeping. He said, I just went to sleep. He said, which I don't sleep very much at night. Amen. Always in prayer, nighttime, when all the demon power shut down towards morning. When they're not roaming, and they're, 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 that's the time the Holy Spirit moves in and talks to me. He says, go early if you want to pray. Rise up early. Workers is gone. The demons, all these, the places are closed up and the, that causes strange things. You know what I'm talking about. He says, see, he says, go rise early, pray early in the morning. When it's still dark out, everything's still closed. The demons haven't been out work and milling about. Pray at that time. To see when the invading army is asleep and the devil thinks he's going to have a field day the next day. There might be something on your heart when God wakes you up in the morning and you suddenly go to praying for somebody and you don't know why. 
Why? Because the devil's got their city surrounded and he's got all his siege equipment arrayed and he's ready to wreak havoc on their life and he's ready to get them down and get them going. But he's got a little son or daughter somewhere else that wakes up in the middle of the night and starts applying oil. Starts applying oil to their siege craft. Starts applying it there so when they get in the presence of the S-O-N, when that person finally gets up in the morning, just has a little devotion and God come down, all the enemy starts going, hey, I had plans. I was going to attack. I was going to do all kinds of things. I was going to destroy them and all of my equipment. Everything's gone. What happened? God had a little somebody somewhere, a little brother or sister that was able to get on their knees and pray not just for themselves, but pray for somebody else. Hallelujah. They begin to pray for somebody else. Why should I inquire of the Lord? Because it gets oil. It gets the oil on, on, the, on their, the enemy's equipment. Hallelujah. When nobody knows what you're going through. And you feel that way. You know that you're in a prison. And it seems that way because like, you can't see past the walls. Because you're stuck down in the city, hiding down in the hole. You can't see how. And he's like, nobody knows. But God sees you. I'm telling you, if he sees you, then someone else sees you too. Because of Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Oh my, right when you get to thinking you're all alone, someone on the outside starts campaigning in prayer on your behalf. Someone's praying for you. Whether you're sitting here tonight, whether you're streaming in tonight, somebody's praying for you. You may not think so. You might think, oh, there ain't nobody. But God could put it on somebody's heart here. Someone could put it on your heart way over in the United States. or someone over in Africa that's heard your name before. Suddenly come on you on their heart and go, God, remember so and so. You know what they're going through. I have no idea what they're going through. But Lord, you know. You put it on my heart for a reason. Why? What's happening? There's a campaign going on outside your city at night. Someone's putting oil on all the enemy's weapons. And all it takes is for you. That's why the devil was trying to convince you you don't want to go to church anymore. He doesn't want you getting in the presence of the sun. He wants to keep you outside the presence of the sun because he knows if you get in the presence of the sun, all his tactics are gone. Just five minutes in the presence of God could change everything. Andrew, it's been going on a long time. Yeah. I've seen the rain wash a lot of oil off. You're in a rainstorm around your city. I've seen the rain do a lot of things. Get you in a rut, you feel like you can't get out. But that didn't stop God before. It won't stop them now. It's never stopped God before. Just because someone prayed for you today doesn't mean God said, all right, it's over now, it's good. No, he'll have someone else pray for you tomorrow. He'll have someone else pray for you the next day. He'll put it back on the same brother's heart again. Why? Because he's determined and he's bound and determined that he won't lose one. 
He knows all them that are his, and he won't let one go. He knows that I'm the door of the sheepfold, and you've got to come through the door, and he's going to make sure you get through the door one way or another because he's got some tactics that the enemy knows nothing about. Oh, my. I've got to ask the musicians to come. Bam talks about a dream that he had. He says, I don't dream very often. He says, I'm not a dreamer. He says, but I dreamed I see a man, a young fellow in shackles. He was trying to get out. We all know the dream very well. Somebody said to him, those are horrible people. Don't have nothing to do with them. And I seen the young fellow getting out of his shackle, so I just let him alone. And I thought, I'll just see what he does. See, when he goes out, he was a nice fellow. And I've seen others trying to get out. There's a lot like that today. Stuck in shackles. Shackles of circumstances, shackles of hurt, shackles of different things that they just can't seem to break out of. But they're nice people. He says, now this is, he says, this is only a dream. He says, but I walked over this way. He says, brother Roy Borders, a very good friend of mine, lives in California. He says, looked like there was something wrong with his eyes. was half closed, maybe a cancer or something over his eyes. Someone was trying to pull me away from him and said, brother Branham. I, I, I screamed and said, brother Borders, in the name of Je- the Lord Jesus, snap out of it. And he was just barely, he just barely could speak. And he said, brother Branham, it'll have to take more than that than this, for this. I just can't grasp it, Brother Branham. I just can't grasp it. I said, oh, Brother Borders, I love him. He said, and someone pulled me away, and I looked, and it was a lady standing over there here. And I, I, when I was just a little boy, I used to haul groceries from the grocery store to the people's, and her name was Miss Fenton. She lived in Jeffersonville yet, and a, and a, and a personal friend of my wife and I, and, and she said, Brother Branham, deliver us from this. So this is the house of hell. You've been misunderstood, these and you misunderstood these people. They're fine people. And I looked over there, and there's a great big cellar of walls, and down beneath a great big cave, great big iron bars, eight or ten inches thick, and people out of their mind, twisted arms and legs, beating their head like that, and she's, they're crying, saying, deliver the people. Brother Bradham, help us. We're in trouble. She answered, I know she herself, I know her. She belongs to the church of Christ or something. And he says, I looked around and I said, I wish I could. And go on looking around. And my little bitty body and them great big iron bars and those poor people in there. And I couldn't, I couldn't get to them. And them iron bars sitting so close together. And I looked. And they were beating their heads like they were out of their mind. And I seen the lights flickering around in there. And I looked up and there stood the Lord Jesus a light of rainbow around him, and he looked straight right at me and said, deliver those people. And he went away. And I thought, how could I deliver them? I haven't got strength enough in my arms to break those bars. So I said, "House, house of hell, give way in the name of Jesus Christ. 
and all the cracking and popping and rocks rolling and bars falling and people running and screaming, delivered! And screaming at the top of their voice and they was all delivered and I was screaming saying, Brother Borders, where are you? Where are you? God is delivering his people. Where are you, Brother Borders? He says, I've wondered about that. I want to say tonight, there's a lot of things we can't do. As a people, we can't do. In ourselves, we don't have the ability. Like Brother Bannon would look at it and say, I can't in my own self. I can't deliver those people. Even though Jesus came down in the dream and said, deliver them people and went away. Lord, why don't you deliver them? He could look at Elijah and say, you're here. Why don't you just end it all? But that wasn't the point. You do it. Brother Bannon realized there's a way to do it. God told him what to do. He didn't tell him how. He didn't tell him when. He just told him what to do. He told you, believe on the Lord, thy and thy house shall be saved. He didn't tell you when. He didn't tell you how. He told you to believe. So only believe. He told you to ask and you would receive. He told you to seek and you shall find. He didn't tell you how. But he told you what? So what are you going to do tonight? But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take God at his word and say it this morning. Say it tonight. House of hell, give way in the name of Jesus Christ. You don't have place over my children. You don't have place. The tactics of the enemy have come against us. They've come against the church of God. They've tried to pull this way and that way and pull this one away and pull that one away. But God is greater. He's able to work in ways we don't understand. You might be looking at it tonight and say, Brother Andrew, I've tried to overcome this devil over and over and over again. But you can't do it on your own. It's time to get back on your knees and say, Lord, I quit my busy life. Sometimes we want to get over things, but we don't want to give anything up. We want to keep all our busy life. We want to keep all our subscriptions, all our things we're doing. We want to continue on with everything we're doing. Never stop for a minute and say, Lord, I just need time. I need time to say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? I'm drowning. What do you want me to do? I need you, Lord. I'm not going to have a big altar call tonight and pull you all up or anything like that. But I want you to go home with this on your mind and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? We all got needs. Many of you raised your hand before the surface. And there's more than that. Things that you could think of. Things that you would be on your heart. We, we, we had the last prayer meeting, Lord willing, till, till we'll have one in July and then in September. But, but uh, you've got things that needs and, and you need God to move in your life. Some of us need deliverance. I'm asking you tonight, would you be willing to get on your knees and say, Lord, the Philistines have come against me. What would you have me to do? Stay there. Until you hear the rushing in the mulberry trees. What does that sound like, Brother Andrew? You'll know it when you hear it. Just like David. He knew it when he heard it. He didn't understand the tactic. But when it came to be, oh, I get it now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Sing that simple chorus, Brother Jeff. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen.
a time for everything. Everything, there's a time and there's a season. There's a purpose. Every purpose under heaven. And he makes all things beautiful in his time. There's a lot of situations we can look at in our lives and think, Lord, this doesn't look very nice. There's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of things brewing that we don't understand, that we don't know how God's going to overcome it. We don't know how it's going to go from here. We don't understand how God's going to take things from here on. We might even look at things in the church, and I'm just going to say it this way. We might say, well, Brother Harold's gone on, and now Brother Red's here, but how's it going to go? What's it going to be? But let's say God's got a time for everything and a season. Let's be willing to get on our knees before God. Let's be willing to wait on the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to just wait on you. And say, Lord, whatever it is at your time, help me to recognize what it is. Help me to recognize your leadership when it happens and not be stuck in a rut, but rather to recognize what God's doing and be able to move with the leading of the Lord. Lord, help me. I would say even, Lord, help me tonight to recognize your leadership. Help me to recognize which way you're going, that you're in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. God's in control. God's the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's the one that knows exactly what you're going through. He looks down through the the curtain of time and sees exactly where you're at, sees your city surrounded, sees everything you're going through and knows exactly how to deliver you. Jerusalem seemed impregnable, like there was no way to take it. But God moved on David's heart. He said, but there's a way in. You might be looking tonight and say, there's no way. But I believe God could put on your heart and say, there's a way. Because I'm the way maker. I'm the miracle worker. I'm the promise keeper. I'm the one that can make a way when there seems to be no way. If you just put your trust in me, if you just wait on me, if you just wait on your knees, if you just be able to say, Lord, I'm not going to move unless you move me. Heavenly Father. Lord, you see every heart that's here, Lord, and you know the thoughts that's going through our minds. You know, Lord, the process of our heart, Lord. You know those that are sealed and those that are not. You know those who are giving themselves to you. You know those that are seeking. You know those that are ready for birth. You know those that are not, Lord. You know where we're all at in our individual walk with you. 
Father, there's nothing hid from you. There's no secret sin that you don't know about. But Lord, you're a gentleman. And you'll wait until we're ready to bring it out and confess it. Lord, I said some things tonight that are hard. Lord, that just delve down right to where we're at, Lord. But Father, you put them on my heart that way, Lord. And sometimes I don't understand it, Lord. And I wanted to preach it a different way, but you brought it this way. Lord, I pray you forgive me if I said anything of my own self. But Lord, I believe we're living in a time when we need to be more sincere than ever before. Lord Jesus, we want to be pleasing to you. With all that's in us, Lord, we don't want to have things in our homes and things in our lives, Lord, that would be grievous to you, Lord, that would hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. Things we'd have to hide in our closet, things we'd have to be ashamed of, things that we couldn't give an answer for, Lord, but I pray, oh God, that you just move on our hearts. Sanctify us again, Lord Jesus. Father, make us ready, Lord Jesus, for the moving of the Spirit, Lord. That when you move, we'd move also. Father, we commit, Lord, ourselves to you now. We love you. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if we could just sing that song together, just change the order a little bit. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. Let's just take a few minutes tonight. I worship you. Just raise your hands to God and shut yourself in with Him. Lord, you're here, and I'm here for you, Lord. I worship you. Whatever you want to do in my life, Lord, I want to just I be willing. You. I want to be open, Lord Jesus, to you. You are here. You're turning lives around. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're working me. Darkness, my God, that is who you are. 